Good evening, and welcome to Bird Calls from the Knoll Foundation Studios here at Red River Radio. Tonight's program is made possible in part by the Knoll Foundation and the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. To take your calls tonight, we have a phone bank of volunteers, including Vicki Lefevers, Dee Dooley, and Susan Bettinger. We invite you to call in with your questions about our feathered friends and the avian world at 800 552 That's 800 552 I'm Cliff Shackleford, your host of Bird Calls here at Red River Radio. I'm ready to answer your questions about birds tonight. So let's hear from you by calling us at 800-552-8502. Believe it or not, tonight is our ninth anniversary of being on air, this show. I can't believe it. It, it's, it started off as a show that we thought would be quarterly, four times a year. After the first episode, the phone bank just lit up, and we thought, okay, let's do it every other month. And then not long after that, we said, let's make it monthly. So uh, nine years of, of being on the air talking about birds, and, and it's been a, a real joy. So we, we start off by recapping our conservation tip from the previous episode, and we ended with uh, talking about a, a very effective herbicide called Roundup, and it works really great, but it should never be used in or near water. And so we talked about how you know, people that spray that in the water, they're going to have problems with no, no wildlife. The, the, it ruins the frog population. It could impact your fish population. So use Roundup. I have nothing against Roundup. If used properly, you definitely don't want to get it on you. I mean, if you've been watching the news and ta- listening to the lawsuits about it, it just it's not meant to be on your fingers and splashed in your face or on your toes. So use it on plants if you have to. Um, but don't use it near uh, or in water. It's just super bad for that. So keep keep our ponds and creeks healthy so fish and other wildlife can, can be safe. And uh, Roundup doesn't belong in or near our, our waters. We uh, do a different species, a profile species every month. And this month we're, we're going to profile a bird that a lot of people should be familiar with. And it's the house sparrow. So this bird was introduced from Europe over a century ago. It's now found in every city in the lower 48 states. Although not musical at all, let's listen to their familiar chips here. Again, not very musical, just chirps, and you're probably familiar with hearing those um, in, in, in the city. So the sexes are dramatically different in the house sparrow, with males sporting a black chin and bib. They have a chestnut and white in the face and a gray cap and forehead. The females, very different looking, are drab in a plain brown, and her most unique feature is a broad, buffy-colored eyeline or eyebrow. This is the sparrow seen most often in parking lots, gas stations, and busy urban centers. The house sparrow was first introduced into the U.S. in Brooklyn, New York in 1851. It had spread to the Rocky Mountains by 1900. 
Uh, the species is originally found in parts of Europe, the Mediterranean basin, and parts of Asia. It's also been introduced into urban centers in portions of Central and South America, Southern Africa, Australasia, and elsewhere. Thanks to man, the house sparrow has almost a worldwide distribution as it benefits from living, living alongside humans. The bird is appropriately named since it prefers to build its grassy nest under the eaves, cracks, or crevices or of houses or other buildings, including barns, carports, and other structures, including street lights and nest boxes. House sparrows eat a variety of insects and seeds. Often they'll be glued to your backyard seed feeder for a free and steady supply of tasty millet, corn, and other seeds. To see a photo of both a male and female house sparrow snapped by James Childress, please visit the Bird Calls page at redriverradio.org. So that's a little bit about the ubiquitous house sparrow that isn't originally from here, but was brought here and is doing quite well. All right, so uh, I am very excited to introduce tonight's guest. We have Christy Chapman um, with WORLA, and WORLA stands for Wildlife Education and Rehabilitation of Louisiana. Uh, she's a, a wildlife rehabilitator, and we're going to um, talk a little bit here, and you'll be able to call 800-552-8502 here in a minute and, and talk to Christy if you'd like. You can uh, ask her questions. Um, I have some questions for her, too, but let me, let me tell you a little bit about Christy before I ask her to come on the air. Uh, she's sitting right here next to me, and we just met for the first time not even an hour ago, but we've been coordinating by text and email over the last several months, right. and so I'm very excited that Christy agreed to come in today. So Christy grew up in Newport News, Virginia, where she was an elementary school teacher, uh, she married military and moved to New Jersey, where she started volunteering at a wildlife refuge and rehabilitation center, center where she found her second passion. In 2016, she moved to Shreveport with the military and began volunteering at WORLA. Again, WORLA is acronym for Wildlife Education and Rehabilitation of Louisiana. It's based right here in Shreveport. And over time, uh, Christy's taken on more and more responsibilities, and she currently serves as a vice president with WORLA. So, Christy, thank you for coming on. Thank the you show. for having us. Yeah. And, and so, the first thing I want to ask you is uh, since most native wildlife are protected by state and federal laws, can you explain the permitting requirements for rehabilitating animals by both state and federal wildlife agencies? Sure. Um, so around the United States, there's different laws and different permitting processes. But in Louisiana, there's um, you would apply with the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Uh, you take a class and you learn about how to rehabilitate the different species and everything. Uh, and then you would apply and they look through the application and they'll let you know if you need more experience. And that way you can go volunteer with a licensed rehabber or an organization like us. Um, you get some more experience, and then they, uh, if they feel like you're ready, they'll go out and they'll um, look at your place and make sure that you have the minimum requirements and everything, and then they'll issue you a permit. Now, that's just for the state, uh, and that's for most mammals. Uh, for birds, it's a different process, and that's you would apply to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They're protected under the um, 
Migratory Bird Act. And so you apply to them and you have to provide proof of experience that you have a veterinarian on, on your, uh, you know, at your disposal and training uh, photos of the enclosures that you have, minimum requirements, that kind of thing. And then they'll issue you um, to be able to rehabilitate with birds. Good. So this isn't really something you can just start overnight in your kitchen. You really need to be prepared. And as, right. as you just mentioned, you need to be permitted. This isn't for everyone. It's, you know, everyone has love for animals and compassion um, for animals and a little empathy. And that, that can go a long ways. But there's nothing like training yeah. um, to know how to do this. And I'm sure you, you've, you've even seen it yourself over the years you've been doing this. Uh, the, you know, maybe the, the mistakes you made way back in the beginning, you're mm -hmm. not making anymore. Right. And people, a lot of times people will think they're doing the best thing and they have the best intentions. Um, but things like you, you learn little things with experience, like, um, for example, squirrels, baby squirrels. If you feed them, uh, they have a very strong sucking reflex. And if you feed them too quickly, they aspirate, they sort of snort it um, and it can get into their lungs, give them pneumonia. And so people don't realize that that's what's happening and mm. so by the time they get to us and they realize that uh, you know rehabilitation is a trained experience uh, something that you have to learn about then by the time it gets to us they have pneumonia and we have to sort of try to get them back to health um, and it's a longer road of rehabilitation oh, yeah. for it, it wants he you know first he's orphan now he's orphan and right. with pneumonia that's that's a double whammy okay so what should someone do if they find an injured animal, but a rehabber doesn't live nearby? So you're, you're here in Shreveport, which is a great uh, uh, resource for people in, mm -hmm. in Shreveport, Bossier City, or maybe even within a short drive. But there are a lot of places in the country, and in my state in particular in Texas, where it's a long way. It could be three, four hours. Right. Uh, and before you get to the nearest rehabilitator. So what, what do you recommend one, someone should do if they find an injured animal but the rehabber doesn't live nearby? So the first step is to uh, look on Department of Wildlife and Fisheries website. Um, if you have our information, you can call us and we'll give you resources also if we know of someone closer to you. But if you look on Wildlife and Fisheries website and you search in their search engine for uh, licensed wildlife rehabilitators, it comes up with a list and where they're located and their contact information. And so that way you can talk to them, find out if they have the capabilities to go out. Uh, most rehabilitators are either nonprofit organizations like us, and we are run mostly by volunteers, uh, or independent rehabbers who have jobs, family, uh, and they do this out of pocket. And so they do it sort of in their spare time, mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you would talk to the, the closest rehabber to you and just try to network um, to get it to a licensed rehabber. Most of the time you have to bring it to them um, or you have to work out some kind of transport. Sometimes you, we can network with each other and find places or find people to be able to, you know, get it to one place and then get it to the other place yeah. to finally get it to a licensed rehabber. Yeah, okay. Uh, the most important thing during all this trying to coordinate is to get the animal to a quiet place um, in a secure area. Um, you want it to be in a quiet place. There's something called capture myopathy. Um, they will die just from being the stress of being in captivity. Mm. Uh, so you want to try to keep it in the quietest place as possible. Um, in your home or outside of your home if the temperature is okay. And so keeping it there while you're trying to coordinate 
getting it to a licensed rehabber. Yeah, so kids hollering and dogs barking in the house and the TV on, those are all no-nos. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we don't often think about that, that we just tune out that background noise, but that's real critical for, uh, yes. you gotta put yourself in the shoes of that critter that's scared, injured, and, and need a, in need of help, and, and mm -hmm. all those noises don't help. Um, so. Uh, on the air tonight today in the studio with us is with us today is Christy Chapman if you'd like to talk to her the number is 800-552-8502 again 800-552-8502 if you want to if you have these long lasting questions for a wildlife rehabilitator now's your chance so Christy this show uh, is streamed online we've had over the years callers from we asked where they're from we've had callers from 11 different states and so you made an important point because we've had callers from Idaho, Minnesota, Maine, those in particular. Um, so I think you made an important point is if you don't know who your local rehabilitator is, get with your local, your state DNR, Absolutely. your wildlife agency, your DNR, that's Department of Natural Resources, your, your parks and wildlife, whatever it's called at the state level, not federal, um, get with them because those rehabilitators are supposed to be uh, licensed and so mm -hmm. that's who they would have their license with is your state government and your state wildlife agency so if you're calling from a state other than than uh, Christie's um, I'm sure she can help you find someone in Idaho but you you're just as likely mm -hmm. to do it yourself from Idaho is to look online find your DNR and and, and have their 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 contact information handy actually we did an episode where where that was one thing I recommended listeners to do is you know we all have on the refrigerator the the call if for poison and you know now it's all 911 but this is not a 911 call no. uh, you would not call 911 for an injured wildlife critter so that's why you want to also have on the the refrigerator the phone number for your closest rehabilitator if if in case this happens because otherwise you're, you're wasting time Yep. You know, this, this critter needs help immediately, and you're still fumbling trying to find out who the rehabilitator is closest to you. But thank goodness in Shreveport, Bossier, we've got Worla and we've got Christy to help out. So, again, 1-800-552-8502 is the number if you want to talk to Christy. Um, okay, I've got some more questions for you, Christy. Since rehabbers are, are spending 24-7 on injured wildlife and someone contacts you with an injured wi wildlife animal, what's the best way to turn it over to you? In other words, you're busy enough at home taking <laughs> care of critters and someone calls you, I'm three hours away. You're, you're not able to always go and get them. You mentioned this already, maybe work out a transport, maybe meet halfway. Yeah. Um, what, what are some examples that you can think of of how, how you make it work? I mean, volunteers obviously help uh, do this too for transport. Yeah, sometimes, um well, we as an organization, you know, we have a little bit farther reaching um, resources because we have multiple volunteers. So sometimes we will make exceptions. If there's a dangerous animal, there's a hawk in um, an elderly person's backyard, you know, we're not going to ask a, an 85-year-old person yeah. to go catch a hawk in their backyard. Yeah. So we, um, we try to find an experienced volunteer that's nearby or has the time and capabilities to be able to go do it. Um, and so sometimes we can make exceptions and, and find a way to do that. Now, it's not because we're so busy. This is the very busiest time of year, uh, summer from 
for us it's it's basically March all the way through September mm -hmm. that we're busy with different species uh, in each part of the year but you know it, it so it's hard for us to be able to get away we do make exceptions but it's hard for us to be able to get away yeah. and like I said independent rehabbers um, you know they have lives they have um, but they try to work things out they have every uh, rehabilitator has up to five what's called subcommittees and these are people that uh, work under them uh, they have to they vouch for them as far as experience is concerned they teach them how to handle each species that they're mm -hmm. allowed to take um, there are certain species they're allowed to handle and so sometimes you'll you'll be able to send out a sub permitting uh, to pick animals up and and we'll network and try to find again it's the um, the best way is to keep the animal um, safe quiet uh, and and work with whoever you have yeah um, that you that you're working with the rehabilitator or the organization yeah. or yeah and I like to tell people you know just making the call that you've found something injured you've only you've only begun the process because what we just mentioned the transport is is another big part of the puzzle mm -hmm. that has to be figured out because again a, a rehabilitator that is working solo and has already 27 things at home to take right. care of can't just stop and leave it's like leaving you know a daycare you can't leave you right. have somebody there yeah. taking care of the kiddos right mm -hmm. um, so and also I mentioned this that you know and this goes into my next question about how they're funded a lot of people think that rehabilitators are government employees or their funding comes from the government and you touched on this a little bit but let's talk about a little bit about where does funding come from because that's another part of the puzzle I like to tell people okay you found the hawk now you got to figure out how to get it there mm -hmm. and you should consider making a donation because guess what that hawk needs medical attention that means supplies yes. experience it needs food mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to be fixed in 24 hours and gone it's going to have weeks maybe weeks of meals required right. and that costs money so it, it's more of a commitment than just making a phone call hey here's a hurt hawk think think it through and and, and consider making a donation but can you uh talk a little bit about where funding comes from for 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 Worla and for most rehabilitators in general that a you're not government employees and right. you're not funded by the government so talk a little bit about that if you could please yeah we um we're, we're not funded by the government. Um, we're not Louisiana Depar Department of Wildlife and Fisheries employees. A lot of people think we are. Um, so we get all of our funding from donations, um, fundraisers, things like that. Um, you can support us as far as the organization is concerned. If you can't make a monetary donation, we ask that you um, repost our fundraisers on Facebook and social media. Um, we try to keep up with um, the other social medias but mainly facebook is what mm -hmm. is what we've been able to keep up with so far um once we get some younger people on the team then maybe we'll be able to do some of the other social media networks but uh so repost our fundraisers and and things like that um donate uh with independent rehabbers um they do it out of pocket uh so consider bringing a gift card or oh. um, you know, to a feed store, Walmart. Oh, um, great ideas! It's always something they can yeah. get at Walmart, uh, and and things like that to help them out. Yeah. Um, it's the best way you can help. Yeah. Old, old towels, old rags. Yes. You need stuff like Sheets, that. Sheets, pillowcases, mm -hmm. uh, towels, t-shirts, um, oh. t-shirts that you don't want anymore. Okay. Uh, things like that. Yeah, we use those um, for baby animals to sort of nuzzle down into yeah. and. 
Yeah. So there's other ways other than cash, it sounds like, that yes. you can contribute. So if you don't have cash to donate for that uh, animal, you can, like Christy said, you can donate all sorts of other things that are probably just collecting dust in the house. So Dog crates, cat crates that you oh, don't wow. use anymore. Yeah, that's Bird great. cages. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome to know that, Christy. Thank you. All right. The number is 1-800-552-8502. It looks like we have our first caller on the air. We've got Louise from Austin. Louise, can you hear me? Hey, Cliff. You got Bald Eagle Louise on the line. Oh, well, it says from Austin, but you're yeah, from Shreveport. I moved. I moved. You did. You didn't I'm ask. You didn't listening. ask me for permission to move. <laughs> well, I'm meeting some of your birding friends down here. Are so. you? And are, are they saying good things? I hope they are. Okay. Getting compliments. Well, so, uh. <laughs> I, I'm sad that you're not still here in Shreveport teaching the little kids about bald eagles. But uh, did you did you take a teaching job over there in Austin? Yeah, I did. Okay, well, that's good. Because you, you you are a powerhouse for getting kids interested in wildlife, Louise, and I'm, I'm glad to hear from you. So uh, I'll quit talking. Do you have a question for Christy, or, or do you have a question for me? Go ahead, Louise. I have a question for you. I've been wanting to ask for a couple of weeks. So on our classroom uh, patio right outside the window, we had a house finch nest um, this spring. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool because we got to really could watch them all the time. Um, and I had a couple questions. One thing, well, we called the mother Jennifer. Hmm. And notice Jennifer a lot would um, sit on the nest. It was after they had hatched. And she wasn't calling, but her mouth would be opening, you know, for a period of time. Hmm. And so, I, you know, I assumed that meant as her way of cooling off. But I yep. also thought maybe it has something to do with how she is cooking up the food for the babies i don't know no I, i'm guessing it was hotter than fudge out there yeah definitely and, and, and hot. Okay. just like a dog panting birds do that a lot of birds larger water birds like cormorants and pelicans and other birds that uh they do what's called guler fluttering guler is g-u-l-a-r fluttering is the second word and they'll flap uh-huh. that that skin and it, it's like fanning yourself at a ball game. And right. so um, so she was probably panting, um, that, okay. that house finch. And so uh, let, let me ask you this. What, did you notice anything odd about the nest after a while on the, on the rim of the nest? Okay, that was kind of my second question. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I remember from uh, back with the bald eagle nest, you know, a highlight of that was when the baby learned to turn and, you know, poop yeah. you know do that expulsion it was a big hit yeah. and, um, and make sure it didn't hit the nest it got yeah, out, got and, out of there. Of, and the house exactly, finch, I, the house finch yeah, doesn't do that and so uh, a lot of the nests i've seen and i'm guessing you saw it too Lise, is they kind of poop on the edge yeah they poop on the edge but i did see them turning i mean they were trying i i thought it was like the old adage don't you don't soil your nest i did think that they were trying to not get it right in where they sit yeah. Um, and yeah. so yeah it made like the wreath around it um, did. yeah and that makes a house finch nest fairly easy to identify after a while because i don't know many other birds that nest in close association to man that that does that and so it's uh, it's a unique feature but anyway go, go ahead Liz. Uh, what else have you okay. discovered well, did, well was was the mother before they started doing that i think she must have been down there cleaning up after them so 
is that like they because they that nest was when they left and by the way they fledged on the last day of school which was awesome ah. so I, I climbed up the next day and took a look at it and i mean the bottom is perfectly clean you know it had the the scad on the outside but i so they must she was working hard yeah i think what, what the the young old nest in what's called a fecal sack it's usually uh-huh. snow white and the parents will haul that off it looks like a diaper it kind of looks like a diaper it's called uh-huh. a fecal sack and they carry it off and dump it somewhere else but i think the the, the the poop on the trim is the adults doing that and i i don't uh. i've never i've never read that i don't know somebody probably knows but i noticed okay. it out the window when we had a couple of years of house finch nesting in our porch and uh we we screened in our porch several years ago and and the poor house finches don't like our property anymore because <laughs> they can't get into that very protected area where the cats can't get them, the raccoons and the snakes and the sun and the rain and all that stuff. So, so I haven't seen a house finch nest in a few years because of, of, of uh, caging in, I guess you could say. We feel like we're in a cage sometime, but we, we screened in our porch. <laughs> but anyway, so, okay, Louise, so tell me this. Did, you, did your students watch this nest with you? Did you have a camera on it? We didn't have a camera. The thing was, it was just perfect because it was. We have a big back window to the mm-hmm. patio, and it was just in the view. Oh, you didn't all need a camera. They were right there. Yeah, oh, so awesome. We watched it all the time. Awesome. We got uh, awesome. really invested. We made little. They started to, you know, try to be quiet, and yeah. nobody hit it with their football, oh, and good, every, good. nobody. It seemed like they all they they at least lived to get out of the nest right that was a, a win that's neat well you mentioned the the female's name jennifer what was the male's name what was jennifer's diego. mate's name diego diego okay yeah. all right <laughs> and, and, and did we come up with names for the 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 little ones honestly we did but i can't oh okay that's all right those, those are your was... gra- those are your grandchildren <laughs> so louise you bad. need to know your yeah. grandkids names and their birthdays and all that so but at least we know the birth or the fledge date was like you said it was the last day of school so that'll be easy for you to remember mm-hmm. <laughs> well great well this is so fun to hear from you louise and yeah. and so uh yeah austin I, I i lived there for about 11 years of my adult life i was very involved with the travis audubon society it's a big uh audubon chapter there and so maybe you've met some of my buddies through that that group and there's a lot of great folks there so shout out yeah i Shout yeah, out they're to really good. Yeah. I've gotten into them, um, and I do a lot of stuff with them. They do That's a lot awesome. of great work. Well, you, you make sure you tell them that you're my favorite teacher formerly from Shreveport, okay? Okay, I will right. definitely do that. Thank you, Chris. Okay, thanks, Louise. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Okay, back to Christy, our rehabilitator. <laughs> 800-552-8502 if you'd like to talk to Christy directly and ask her that burning question you've had about rehabilitating wildlife or maybe it's going to be one of the questions i'm going to ask her and so here's the next question i have for you christy is can people care for wildlife themselves and how could they volunteer if they're interested explain the training involved in doing rehab is rehabbing animals something that anyone can figure out on their first outing at home well they definitely can't figure it out right away Um, there's a lot of information on the internet so people will Google and sometimes they find the first website. The first website they find, they, they try to follow that information. And it's not always the best information. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to get 
advice if you can't get it to a licensed rehabber within 24 hours you want to get advice from a licensed rehabber at least on how to take care of the animal until you can get it to a licensed okay. rehabber you want to get the best advice because um because there's a lot like i said there's a lot out there and, and you could do some damage um mm. and rehabbers also get um we get emails with alerts for uh things like puppy milk or kitten milk if if they found that like a couple of years ago there was a certain type of uh, puppy milk that the grains in it were too large for squirrels to digest and so we were losing squirrels because of that and we get those kind of emails that alert us to those kind of things and um, people at home wouldn't get that kind of thing so mm -hmm. and it is against the law um, it does carry a fine so if you ever did want to become a rehabber and you were found that you were doing it at home without a license um, it would it would work against you oh wow yeah and, and you know what people tend to do these days they put everything on Facebook including little videos oh of them goodness, doing their yes. stuff and, and guess what we have game wardens in all states that are trolling the internet they're looking for bad things not they're not yes. looking for people they're doing you know trying to help animals but they're they're looking for people that are shooting deer out of season and bringing home fish that are undersized and so forth so they could stumble across the, this video so be, be careful what you put on on the web right. when you're doing something and you're not licensed and big uh, there's a big problem with uh, cute baby animals that carry a lot of diseases mm. things like raccoons are very adorable uh, when they're small and they're cute and they sound like they're a dolphin and a kitten had a baby when they <laughs> make that sound uh, when they get hungry it's just so adorable um, but they carry a lot of diseases, uh -huh. and one specific kind of roundworm, um, especially in children, will get into the eye and blind a child. Um, human. Human child, yes. Okay, so here's an example of a wild animal that's, that transfers something to humans that's a big problem. Okay. Right. Very important to hear this. Right. All wildlife uh, can carry, does carry diseases and can carry diseases. So you always want to have gloves on when you handle things. You always want to have a barrier between you and them, um, regardless of your safety with uh, injury and things uh -huh. like that. Um, but even with a baby, you want to have some kind of gloves on, latex gloves with a baby, uh, that kind of thing. Because, well, also raccoons are a rabies vector species, which means they're more likely to carry rabies. And rabies is carried on the saliva and raccoons groom themselves. So if you have an open cut and you're holding a raccoon barehanded, you know, you could get rabies just from that mm. contact there. Yeah. So it's it's a big problem. And each species has its own set of, you know, diseases and, and viruses and things that you can get from them. Um, so never let a, a child uh, handle wildlife. And if you have to handle wildlife, always wear gloves, have some kind of protection. Mm. Um, we always like for people to get advice from a licensed rehabber anyways, just for safety purposes. Because if you're dealing with an adult or a juvenile, um, there's a lot of injuries that can happen. It can get pretty scary. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. So yeah, you're 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 giving us really good uh, season from a seasoned veteran uh, per, a perspective that a lot of listeners might not have. That you know, okay, I I'm I'm feel very sorry for this animal. I'm going to take care of it. But wow, you've just informed us about a lot of things to think about. So. Yeah. Uh, people need to think about that before they pick up injured wildlife. If you want to talk to Christy, the number is 800-552-8502. This is Bird Calls. We're on Red River Radio. And uh, again, 800-552-8502.
Uh, so, Christy, it's tough to turn away from a seemingly orphan animal, but what would you like to say about folks finding a fawn deer, F-A-W-N, fawn deer, mm-hmm. or fledgling blue jay or other species with young that don't always have their parents in plain view, but mm-hmm. they're not truly orphaned? And I, I pointed out fawn deer and blue jay because, those, in my opinion, those are pretty strong ones, but I'm yes. going to turn it over to you. You're the expert, not me. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> that you're an expert in a lot of fields also, but um, we get a lot of calls. A lot of our calls uh, throughout the summer and spring are about baby animals. Um, for example, bunnies. Uh, people think that bunnies are babies and that they're abandoned, um, but bunnies five weeks after they're born are okay on their own. Hmm. Um, and so if their eyes are open, ears are up, their fur is fluffy, not velvet, and they're a tennis ball or sizer, or, or larger uh, size, tennis ball size or larger, then they're okay to be on their own. Uh, so people see them and think that they're babies, and uh, and they scoop them up. And what they're really doing is is putting them in jeopardy. Uh, rabbits are very high stress animals in captivity. So again, they can die from capture myopathy mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, and again, a, a lot of times people will let their child handle the bunny. Um, because it's cute and cuddly, yeah. and and a lot of times they come to us and they and they pass away within the first 24 hours because they were handled too much or or they were taken out of their environment and it's just too much stress on them. So um, so bunnies is one of them. You can always call a licensed rehabber and get advice before you intervene with an animal. Um, you mentioned fawns, and this this time of year we started getting fawns fawn calls last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Fawns, so it's kind of, I kind of do an analogy with uh, when you put your baby down for a nap, uh, you put them in the crib, but you don't lay down in the crib with them. Um, You know, you go to the kitchen, get something to eat, or take a nap yourself in the next room, uh, and and you listen out for the baby's cries. Well, mom does the same thing in the deer world. Um, Instinct tells the baby to stay in that spot or that small area, and mom goes off and gets food so she can go back and nurse the baby. Um, and then she comes back, she always returns. And uh, people see a fawn and they think that it's abandoned. And so they take the fawn out of the forest or out of that area. And we, uh, in Louisiana, we can't rehabilitate deer um, because of something called chronic waste disease. Um, we're prohibited from rehabilitating deer. So you've just taken the deer away from its mother and then we can't rehabilitate mm-hmm. it. So. You know, you're in a sticky situation at that point. And what if you put it back, or or we have we added human scent to that? That'd be a problem, or would mom still take the baby? That's actually a myth. Um, mom will still take Good. care of the baby, and that's in in all species. A lot of people think that if you, if if it has human scent on them, yeah. they'll abandon them, um, or reject them, and that's that's not true. Yeah. Um, they'll still take care of them. Yeah, especially in true in the bird bird world since most birds have reduced olfaction. Exactly. So they don't even sniff and smell like we do. Um, but mammals of course do. But yeah, so here's here's the message if you find a deer and where I live in Texas they're dropping fawns late May, early June mm-hmm. and you just mentioned here it is the third week of June and you're getting calls. So right now is about when fawns are, are, are out there and you, you gave a great analogy with the crib and, and mom's not in the crib with the baby so same with the, the fawn so leave, leave the fawn alone mom's there she just ran off she, same thing with the bunnies I've seen bunny nests 
guess what? You flush mom away, and, mm-hmm. and you, you're, you're not supposed to find the bunny nest. It's like the bat cave. Right. Batman doesn't want you to know where the bat cave is, but oops, mm-hmm. you stumbled across it. Yeah. So leave the bunnies in the nest. Mom will come back, get away, keep the kids, keep the animals away, the dogs and the cats, the pets, and let mom get back to it, whether it's a bunny, a blue jay, or, or a deer. Um, and, and, yeah, chronic wasting disease is new. This is something that... Yeah. It's only been in our lingo for the last, what, five or seven years, something like that. We didn't talk about it 10 years ago. We didn't no. talk about CWD. So it's a new new thing. And, and so you made a great uh, comment there about the rehabilitators can't take it. So leave the deer there. If you're bush hogging your field and you see a deer, a, a fawn in the pasture, and you're about to mow over it, go around it. Mm-hmm. Don't pick it up. Don't call Orla yeah. with a baby deer. Leave it there. Go around it. Mow that strip another time and let mama deer come and get the baby deer. And don't break up a good uh, family is the point to that. So, all right. The, the number to call is 800-552-8502 if you'd like to talk to Christy or me. Um, and if you'd like to talk to her about wildlife rehabilitation, now is your chance to do it. The, uh, you also mentioned blue jays before. Something we also talk to people about with the with the babies that fall out of the nests. Um, this goes for squirrels and and um, and birds. Uh, when they fall out of the nest, you can as long as they don't have injuries, uh, things like that, or they're not depleted and looking like they're gonna, they're they haven't seen you know water or anything in a while. If they're looking okay, you can put them in a box and nail the box to the tree as high up as you can get oh, it. Oh, great idea. As long as there's no predators, yeah. like lurking, not in direct sunlight. Um, and with birds, mom will come and take care of them. You know, they yap, they pop their head up and, and gape um, or ask for food, and they yap and really loud. Mom hears them, uh, and she'll come take care of them still. Yeah, she's bonded to them. I've seen on the Internet people buy those <clears throat> hanging baskets for potted plants yes. uh-huh. and if a nest falls down like a mockingbird you can put the whole nest and the babies in that hang it up in close proximity where it fell down and and guess what mom is bonded and she's invested and she'll come back yes and tend to those so so those kinds of solutions are a lot better than calling you and and trying to teach a baby mockingbird to grow up and be a mockingbird is really difficult mm-hmm. but guess who can do it a lot better is mama right. mockingbird so if you see a, a baby blue jay walking around, they often fledge, a, a, you know, like a day or two before they really should. Um, they haven't really <laughs> fallen out of the nest. They're just ready to go. They, they're, they're flightless for a couple days. They look like they're orphaned, but guess what? There's mom or dad watching from above, maybe swooping at you, maybe not. But if you have that in the yard, bring the pets in, bring the kids in, and right. just let nature take its course. It's not going to be, it's not, it doesn't mean you have to move because there's a baby blue jay and it's ruined your life. Guess <laughs> what? In about a t- few hours, it's all, all going to be over. Right. Um, maybe a day or two at the most, depending on what we're talking about. But uh, this isn't going to, this isn't going to adjust your life such that you have to, um, you know, whine and cry about it and sell your house because <laughs> your, your yard's ruined because you got babies in the backyard, baby birds. A lot of people think that because they can't, you know, soar across the sky, they can't fly. Yeah. But they can fly to a low branch or a bush and then to the next level and to the next level to get out of harm's way. Yeah. They and just can't get lift yet to get up over the right. fence. That's right. And that, that'll just take them a couple days to figure that out if, if we're talking about a blue jay. All right. The number is 800 We have... 
Paul from Marshall on the air. Paul, what do you have for us? Hey, Cliff. This is uh, uh, we've talked before. Okay. And I've got 30 acres over on Highway 43 in Marshall, and I was over there exactly a month ago, right at dark, and I mean it was 8.50 at night probably, and there were two uh, birds, I'm going to call them nighthawks because I don't know any different yet, okay. and they were the shape of a, um, of a um, what am I trying to say? They, they weren't they, they weren't purple martins, you know, okay. but they were that that class of bird. Uh-huh. The wingspan was probably a, approaching ten inches, maybe twelve inches, and when they turned right in front of me, I saw a white stripe on both wing tips. Mm-hmm. Yep, that that sounds like a night hawk. Um, that the the and I and I went back the next two nights to show them to my wife, and I never saw them again, unfortunately. But okay. they were gorgeous. Yeah, that that bird is a migratory species through our area, and they're one of the last. Uh, okay. They're one of the last migrants to push through. Their their numbers peak in mid to late May, and and not many birds like warblers, thrushes, vireos, hawks, etc., that are migratory do that. They're already done, so they're kind of the caboose, uh, the common nighthawk. So you probably saw birds that were passing through, and you were the La Quinta, the Holiday Inn for the night, and that's why they weren't okay. there the next day. Well, yeah. it was amazing. It was it was a pair, and the way I was parked in the pasture, they were turning within ten or twelve feet of me. Yeah. And, and, well, you know their flight pattern. It was an open mm-hmm. pasture with mm-hmm. bugs, and they were just happy as they could be. Yeah, good. And, but, and, and, just just a treat for a night. I yeah. mean, it was, it was unfortunate, but. Yeah, well, that's a good sighting, Paul. And, uh, yeah, what else? You got anything else for us before we say? No, I'm, no I, I can't believe I okay. called it a nighthawk, and I was right, though. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to send you a lollipop. How about that? Okay. All right. All right, All right Paul. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thanks for the call. Thank you so much. The number here is 800-552-8502. You're listening to Bird Calls. We are going to wrap up here in a few minutes. If you'd like to ask questions about birds or wildlife rehabilitation, tonight is your night, especially for wildlife rehabilitation, because we're very honored to have uh, Christy Chapman from Worla here. Worla is a wildlife rehabilitation center here in Shreveport. Um, and the number here is 800-552-8502. Okay, Christy, uh, since people aren't calling, I'm going to ask you some more questions. <laughs> I got some good ones, too. Ho- okay. Hopefully I'm going to stump the chump, but I probably won't. <laughs> All right, what are the causes of the most wildlife injuries you see? Okay. Um, this time of year, especially springtime, it's uh, it's dog and cat attacks oh. uh, in the backyard. Um animal attacks in general because sometimes people will uh, take it away from a a hawk or an owl um which is tragedy on both sides if they take it away from a hawk or an owl because they were going to eat it but um yeah but with the uh dogs and cats you know a lot of times they'll you know dogs are going to be dogs and cats are going to be cats and and that's what we're here for so we'll take care of the animal as best we can um and try to get them back to health and back out there so that's a lot of it um but human encroachment on, um, you know, they were here and we moved in and started building our houses and mm-hmm. our businesses and things. And people come in contact with them. There's cars, there's, um, you know, poisons, there's lots of different things. Um, 
that they can get into and and it and it gets them in trouble mm-hmm. and uh and they end up with us a lot of times it's uh especially winter time we get a lot of owls and hawks um from car cars yeah. uh car strikes because they're diving for food in the street as opposed to the forest uh they you know food gets scarcer and so they dive and they have um binocular vision and so they they're going for it and they don't see peripheral the cars coming and then they get hit so a lot of times in wintertime we get the we get the big hawks and and uh owls so it's it's mainly dog cat attacks and uh human encroachment is a lot of them and cars and guess what they all have in common us yeah Yeah. yes we're we're, we're the reason for uh, the injuries and and you know to be fair that's why a lot of rehabilitators are in urban centers not because not only because there's a lot of people and somebody in there is going to mm-hmm. be a, you know, fixing clocks or a pilot and, and, and a rehabilitator. You won't have all that in a small town, right? But in a big city, you could. And, and then to cater to those injuries that you mentioned mm-hmm. from, from our own beloved dogs and our beloved sweet cats and our Michelin tires. And I shouldn't mention a, a, a brand of tire. It's any, <laughs> any kind of tire, any kind of car. Uh, but yeah, these are the these are the the causes of of injuries that she's seeing most at Worla. So the number is eight hundred five five two eight five zero two. Running out of time, we've got Sharon from Athens, Louisiana. Sharon, wh- where is Athens, Louisiana? It is between Shreveport and Ruston. Okay, we've we've got an Athens, Texas, and uh, I guess you know in the old days they they were pretty uh, pretty short on coming up with with uh, names for cities and so we've got Athens from Greece and <laughs> London from England and Egypt or it you know all these Italian names Rome and so forth so anyway uh, I digress so what do you have for us tonight <laughs> Athens uh, from Athens well I actually have a question about hawk okay um, I have a tree outside my yard that I've seen a hawk before and there's I think it's a young hawk and there's two of them and they are yelling, mm. just squawking. Yeah. Um, I read on Google that it's possibly that their parents leave them to fend for themselves mm. for a few days, and that's what causes them. But I thought I would call and see well, what you guys have to say. Well, I've had this in my backyard, and, and it's red-shouldered hawk. I, I'm not looking at a photograph. I'm not in your backyard. I'm just going to tell you what I've noticed. And when, when young red-shouldered hawks are haven't fledged yet, they are like hungry teenagers, human teenagers that are constantly <laughs> wanting food. And so your hawks, what they are, they're probably young red shoulders, and they're saying, feed me, feed me, mommy, 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 feed me. And anybody in the human world knows that sound from a teenager that's hungry, and that's exactly what you're hearing from the bird world. Um, so people ask, what can I do? And there's nothing you can do. Mom is out there hunting. She hears it. She hears that kid the kid is hungry and she's working hard to find a snake or a crayfish or a frog or something tasty uh, to feed those young so the best thing to do Sharon is is just enjoy it while you've got it because uh, you've got your National Geographic moment right there it's not every day that <laughs> someone can see young red-shouldered hawks be, figure out how to be red-shouldered hawks yeah it was actually great I was gone for about a week and then I drove my car into my carport and it came and landed on my car. I mean, I was already, it was the following morning. Hmm. And 
it landed on my car, and I got a good video of it squawking, uh-huh. um, just kind of screaming. And I was like, maybe it's mad that I came back from vacation. Yeah. No, it's it saw another mom and, and thought you could help. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for the call, Sharon. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And next we've got Nicholas from Lake Sam Rayburn. Now, that's not a city. So somebody's, somebody doesn't want us to know where the bat cave is, and that's fine, Nicholas. So can you tell us what county you're from? Because there's at least four or five counties that touch Sam Rayburn. Right. How, about, how about that? Yeah, I live um, on the Angelina River. Okay. County. All right. Very good. Nicholas, what do you got for us tonight? Hey, I was wondering if uh, she had any favorite stories or rehabs of animals that she's rehabbed dropped off or oh, good. You know, oh, definitely. That's the ones that stand out. Okay, great question, Nick. Let's go ahead, Christy. I have I have so many. Uh but the one that comes to mind immediately, uh last year we got since I've been here the first uh baby bobcat uh of Wills Parish. There was a couple that was going down the road and they saw a dead bobcat in the road and so they, they pulled over to take her body and move it to the side, make sure she would she had already passed. Um and they saw some grass moving and looked and it was a baby bobcat mm. and so she came to us and uh usually they go to pk connery who's a um, bobcat rescue um i think it's down south louisiana uh but she had miss connery had just had surgery or she was having some medical issues she asked us to to be able to rehabilitate the bobcat until it was on solid food and so we said well twist my arm why don't you mm. and so she stayed with us for three months and it was the most adorable uh, you can see her story on our Facebook page. Uh, she she was just a joy to have with us. And because she was with us for three months, we usually don't name animals, but because she was with us for three months, um, we named her Journey because mm. she was having a journey. After she was with us, she went to the bobcat uh, rescue where she's at now, learning to be a big bobcat um, and making sure she's not, she's still afraid of, of humans and, and will stay away from humans. And then they'll they've invited us to come to the release when she's ready that's awesome i, ho- I hope my wife's not listening because she's <laughs> she's bobcat crazy partly because she's not had many good looks at an adult bobcat but oh, i know I-, I know she'd go bonkers if she saw a baby bobcat. even the baby if if you look at the video and the pictures um especially there's one picture of her drinking the formula out of the out of the the nipple and it's her paws are on our gloved hand and those nails, she's a baby, and her nails are so long. Razor it's, sharp. Yes, yeah. razor sharp. We had to wear gloves from from the time we got her, and oh, she yeah. was like kitten size. She'd shred your couch, that's for sure. Yes. Well, that's a very cute story. Thank you for the call, Nicholas. So along that line, because um, we're running out of time, what's the coolest critter you've rehabbed? Sounds like the bobcat. The bobcat, but eagles are really cool. Bald eagles? Bald eagles, okay. yes. Uh, we, there's only two places in Louisiana that wildlife and fisheries like to take bald eagles, and that's us and LSU uh, in Baton Rouge. And so if we're the closest to the bald eagle, they bring them to us. And so that's really interesting. They are the most powerful. Um, and, and only a few of us actually handle the eagles for the for the mm-hmm. doctor, the veterinarian that we have. So uh, that's, that's the coolest. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, what's the meanest, the maddest, nastiest <laughs> critter you've ever personally rehabbed? Raccoons. Raccoons are very... The adults? Yes. Okay. Well, juveniles also. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to post a video probably tonight or tomorrow. Um, it's a baby raccoon or a juvenile raccoon. 
um, and looks really cute in the video. And then you see um, one of the one of the team members gloved hands taking the raccoon out to put it into a clean cage so he can clean its cage from overnight. And it is just growling and wow. snarling and they have teeth and they have claws and they are very agile yeah. and they are like Velcro um, to the gloves and they will climb on you and try to bite and everything else. So oh, that's funny. Yeah. And, and, and you just made me realize I'm, I'm doing kind of the number one error with talking about wildlife is using the term baby. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> well. and in college, I had a professor. He said, don't ever call them babies. They're they're with birds they're nestlings right when they leave the nest they're fledglings mm -hmm. uh use the, the a good word for the young raccoon the juvenile, juvenile. Mm -hmm. um so yeah baby is such a you know a right. or anthropomorphic term um that that we shouldn't yeah. use and i and i'm i'm guilty of it too and that's so. a lot of the reason we don't name animals also yeah you we, don't want, you don't want to get attached right. to right uh, so real quick, um, what species will most rehabilitators simply not accept? Okay. Uh, well, in Louisiana, um, we're prevented from, we can't rehabilitate deer um, because of the chronic wasting disease and wild turkeys uh, because they're trying to bring up the numbers of wild turkeys. Um, but also there's invasive species like nutria, um, sparrows. House sparrows. House sparrows, yeah. yes. Um, and starlings. And what's the other one? Feral hogs, venomous snakes, alligators. Um, I think I covered them all. Okay, that's yeah, a lot. Nu nutria invasive species. And, and also. The, yeah, the main theme with a lot of those are they don't belong here. They're introduced, like the nutria, the starling, the house sparrow. Right, those yeah. are invasive species. Okay, great. Well, Chrissy, it's been a pleasure having you on the Thank show. You. Uh, it's it's amazing how fast an hour goes by. Yeah, it? it actually yeah, did. <laughs> yeah, but this was great. We learned a lot, um, and thank you so much. Thank you. So I end every episode with a conservation tip. And tonight, our conservation tip is take a kid or grandkid camping and hiking. Getting outside is essential for our well-being. We experience therapeutic responses when we're in the fresh air, hearing the sounds of nature. There's so much to see in the great outdoors. We can get a break from urban life. We can unplug. We can see new scenery and bright stars in the night sky. One of the best ways to experience nature is hiking and camping. Our youth need those experiences now more than ever. For newcomers, there are YouTube videos on how to tent camp and what equipment is needed, but it doesn't have to be fancy. State and national parks are scattered all over the country where you can camp and hike. You can start by practicing camping in your own backyard. Your kids and grandkids will enjoy it. To make camping a favorable experience, you'll of course want to select comfortable weather conditions, including for me, nightly temperatures below 68 degrees here in the humid south. That number can be a little higher in drier parts of the country. Getting your kids hooked on camping and hiking is a great excuse to travel to a different ecoregion where the flora and the fauna will look different than it does at home. Show your kids or grandkids the great outdoors by taking them camping and hiking do it for them and do it for the birds. So that concludes this evening's episode. You've been listening to Bird Calls with me, Cliff Shackelford, resident ornithologist here at Red River Radio. I thank our in-studio guest, Christy Chapman, for discussing wildlife rehabilitation with us tonight. That was really fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Bird Calls has been made possible in part by the Knoll Foundation and the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. 
Tonight's episode was assisted by Kermit Poling, and our phone bank was operated by Dee Dooley, Susan Benninger, and Vicki Lefevers. Tonight's sound recording of A House Sparrow was played from my phone using the Cornell Labs app called Merlin. The photo we used for the House Sparrow on the Bird Calls page was snapped by James Childress. This show will be available soon as a podcast on our website at redriverradio.org. And remember, if you have a photo or a sound clip of a bird that you'd like me to identify, you can send an email to redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Again, redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Be sure to join us for the next episode of Bird Calls next month at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, July 19th. That's one week later than we normally air. And remember, do it for the birds. Mm-hmm.